Welcome to episode one of the Pre-Match Pint, a podcast brought to you by Luke James, Callum Ison and Dan Lockwood. Before we get into today's episode, it's probably about time I introduced my co-host. So over to you, Dan. How are you doing today? Oh yeah, not too bad. Thanks, man. How are you? I am not too bad. Over to you, Callum. How are you doing on this fine Sunday afternoon? Uh, I'm not too bad, mate. Thanks very much. It's uh, a bit hot, so we're going to have to... uh... Keep, keep the fan on, I reckon, but it's all good, all good here. Awesome. So, on today's show, there is so much to get into. We're going to start off by a chat about the Bundesliga, of course, one of the main leagues first to come back from the coronavirus pandemic. After that, we're going to talk about a league very, very close to my heart, Major League Soccer, because I am banging the MLS drum non-stop. And to round off the show, in the final 20 minutes, we are, of course, going to be discussing project restart the return of the premier league and more broadly english football later this week but before we get into that it's probably a good idea to introduce kind of what the podcast is going to be about and as the weeks and months ahead we're just going to on a weekly basis each sunday probably uploaded on a monday morning talk about a week in the world of sport whether that be football whether that be kind of um rugby cricket all these kinds of things i've just named sports that we have absolutely no interest in which is a bit of a shame um but Dan, definitely what... we won't be talking about cricket i can tell you that yeah man. we definitely won't be talking about cricket that's, <laughs> that's dull as dishwater but dan what what kind of other sports are you interested in covering as the weeks kind of move ahead i mean as the weeks move ahead it would be it'd be good to see more of the american sports come into play as they start their restart uh, restart program especially with the nba uh, coming soon, and then obviously the NFL later on in the year is coming back as well. Um, then obviously the MLS coming back in a few weeks. Definitely, and the world of sport is now starting to return. So over the last couple of weeks, there's been lots and lots of news breaking with regards to Formula One. Just kind of this weekend, it was announced that the Azerbaijan, Japanese, and Singapore Grand Prix were cancelled this year, and of course that came after the news that Sebastian Vettel would be leaving. Ferrari in other sports, of course, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury have agreed a deal in principle to fight, I believe, in 2021. Um, Callum, what did you make of that news? Uh, I mean, I'm so excited for that fight to happen. Uh, it's just, I think it probably will be the biggest fight in British boxing history. And it's just such, like, such two good, well, good personalities uh, coming up against each other. Um but obviously, we've got in the middle of that, you've got Deontay Wilder versus Fury Free. So obviously, you've got to get over that hurdle. And obviously, then there's still talk about Tyson Fury then having to fight Dillian White as well. So obviously, having two fights in between this massive title fight is a huge risk. But hopefully, Tyson can come through both of them and we get to see the fight that everybody wants. Anything to add on that, Dan? Any predictions if the fight does kind of go ahead after the fights later this year? Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, if it does go ahead, I mean, I can. I'm I'm a big Anthony Joshua fan. Um, uh, followed his career for a good few years, but I can just see Tyson Fury having too much. Uh, I think he's got too much passion uh, to sort of go down uh, without a good fight. So I think he'll really bring it to to Joshua, especially after he's had a couple of slip ups uh, with the Andy Ruiz uh, saga over the past couple of years. Uh, I can see Tyson really giving uh, Joshua a good match there. Definitely. Um, Kind of some other headlines in the world of sport before we get into our first topic of the day. Premiership Rugby is set to return later this summer and it will be the first time that UK Rugby is played during the summer. So there's been lots of conversation about that. Of course, leagues across Europe in the football are starting to return. La Liga is back. Barcelona once again 
won this weekend. Martin Braithwaite was on the score sheet, which is always interesting to see. The Italian Cup has also returned. Um, Juventus were through despite a missed penalty from Cristiano Ronaldo. And last but not least, Novak Djokovic has cruised to a comfortable victory in the opening match of the kind of highly weighted Adria Tour as professional tennis starts to return. So over to Germany, over to the Bundesliga. What have you made of the Bundesliga since it returned kind of last month? And what have you made of the matches that kind of went ahead this weekend? Uh, I, I don't know about you two. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I, I, I was a bit sceptical. I won't lie about having no fans in the stadium. Obviously, it's a bit of a new thing to get used to. But I've really actually enjoyed the the whole being able to hear the players and the ref a bit more. And obviously, that's most of them speak German anyway. So especially with the Premier League coming back, I'm looking forward to actually being able to understand what is being said on the pitch rather than just hearing like the passion. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what I've enjoyed about the Bundesliga as well is I've tried to cover as wide a range of fixtures as possible. And kind of recently, in the last couple of weeks, I've spent a lot of time watching the teams right at the bottom of the table. So I've seen quite a lot of Werder Bremen, quite a lot of Paderborn. Um, and the quality at the bottom of the league isn't too bad. And even dipping into Bundesliga's Zweier, um, the teams at the top of the table, um, Armenia, look like they'll get promoted as champions. And then you've got three teams really in and amongst it looking to get second place which also goes up automatically and then third place that has kind of the promotion relegation playoff um hamburg stuttgart and potentially even heidenheim are kind of in contention over there um dan which teams have you enjoyed watching in the bundesliga thus far uh, i mean so far uh, i've not watched as much as i'm sure you two have but um when watching dortmund the past few weeks they've been very interesting uh, this week uh, not so much at all uh, it was a very boring game this week with only uh, Haaland's uh, 95th minute header to sort of get the headlines uh, with Dortmund at Dusseldorf. Um, but I mean, Schalke have been awful through, throughout the past few weeks. Um, and that's well, putting it kindly, top, really. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah Schalke have been really awful. I mean, Frankfurt, I, I, I do like Frankfurt. They've not been too bad. Um, but their sort of start of the season, them being sort of uh, mid-table, sort of bottom half of the table, has sort of harmed their hopes of sort of getting back into Europe as they were last year. Definitely. Um, if we look at the fixtures this weekend, of course, at the time of recording, it's currently half-time in the match between Mainz and Augsburg, so we can't speak about that one or the game between Schalke and Leverkusen that kicks off later this afternoon on Sunday. Um, but up until this point, this weekend, Hoffenheim nil, RB Leipzig, Two, a, a brace from Daniel Olmo, which is very, very impressive to see from him. Um, as you said, Dan, Fortuna Dusseldorf nil, Borussia Dortmund won. It was an Erling Haaland 95th minute winner in that game. Um, one of the most prominent kind of Borussia Dortmund fan sites did quite a scathing report where basically they said that apart from one minute of the match, it was pretty kind of atrocious. Um, Wolfsburg versus Freiburg was 2-2. Valk Verkhurst, again, scoring a brace. He's been really impressive the last couple of weeks. Um, Köln Lost 2-1 against Union Berlin in a result that will probably see Berlin stay up, if we're being totally honest. Again, at the bottom of the table, Paderborn won, Werder Bremen 5. That was an absolutely massive victory for Florian Kovelt's side. And again, last couple of fixtures we're going to talk about today. Hertha Berlin 1, Eintracht Frankfurt 4. That's a massive win for Frankfurt, although kind of Hertha were hampered by the, by the red card to Diderik Boyata. And last but not least, the team very much on the cusp 
of winning the Bundesliga for an eighth season in a row by Munich to Borussia Mönchengladbach one. So kind of, I'll throw it over to you, Callum. What has kind of stood out to you this weekend? Um, I mean, I haven't watched loads of it because I, I, I've got to say I was keeping on brand with a name and actually was out having a pint with a few friends, obviously socially distanced and all that. But um, I've seen, I watched a few of the highlights and something that stuck out to me was uh, obviously the Bayern Munich Borussia Mönchengladbach game. I actually found that uh, Gabback probably could have gone two to up pretty easily. Um, if it weren't for the erraticness of their keeper, they probably would have gone into a really strong position. Um, obviously, it was helped by Benjamin Pavard, who had a bit of a weird one. He's been scoring quite a lot of goals at the other end of the pitch recently, but he put one in his own net this week. So that was a bit of an odd one. But obviously, they came back um, late on with a goal from Goretzka scoring a winner to make it 2-1. But I was actually quite impressed with Gladback and actually two of the players in that in that team, Alison Plie and uh, Marcus Furam have actually really impressed me since the return of the Bundesliga. Obviously, I'd heard a lot about them beforehand, but I feel like they've just kind of they've stepped up this year and this season more than most. Yeah, there's a lot of players kind of on Borussia Mönchengladbach's team that have really stood out. Player is one of them. He's an impressive player and just kind of harking back to my knowledge of Football Manager 2014 was sensational as a young, as a young talent on FM14. Um, Dan, are there any players from either Bayern Munich or Mönchengladbach that have stood out for you since kind of the league has restarted? I mean, I, I, to be honest, I've not watched uh, much of uh, Mönchengladbach. I mean, I have heard of a uh, player and Thuram uh, that uh, you two guys mentioned uh, before. Um, but I've seen Xerxes. Uh, he has been doing well this year. Uh, I mean, the young Dutch striker, he has, I think he's bagged a few goals now, uh, including one. Uh, one yesterday. Um, so it will be interesting to see how he develops over the next few years, whether he does decide to stay at Bayern um, or whether he does move elsewhere to sort of get, get a bit more playing time under his belt, uh, whether that be on loan or, or permanently. Um, and then we'll really see sort of what he's been about. Do, do, we, do, do we think he will be the future replacement for Lewandowski? Obviously, Lewandowski's getting on yeah, a bit now. Obviously, he's still at the top of his game, probably having one of his best ever seasons. But... Um, yeah, do we think Xerxes is the player to replace Lewandowski long term? I mean, I, th- I think he definitely could. Uh, the ability is there uh, from what I've seen of him over the, the past few weeks. Uh, he does it good. He's, he's highly spoken of uh, from people who are sort of uh, watching the Bundesliga week in, week out uh, and experts around uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, I mean, he definitely could. Uh, whether he can... He's ready to do that straight away as soon as sort of Lewandowski. I know he's probably got a few more years uh, left in him, but he will start to tail off. And it's sort of whether he can step up to that to that starting role uh, in such a good side. Uh, I mean, Germany is we've seen it's a great place for youngsters to sort of develop. Um, usually through through the lower league teams. I mean, um, Leipzig, Dortmund, not so much at uh, Bayern Munich, uh, where yeah. we've not seen many. Uh, sort of foreign people go over there. Um, but I think Xerxes does seem like he will develop to be a pretty good player. I think the thing with Bayern Munich as well is they've got such a reputation for basically stealing the best players from yeah. anyone in the Bundesliga. I was going to say Borussia Dortmund, but basically anyone in the Bundesliga. It's quite hard to see a path for a young player at Bayern Munich. Um, but it will be interesting kind of going forwards to see what he can do because... There was a spell around Christmas time where it was really, really important when Lewandowski wasn't in the team. 
So that is going to be big for buying going forwards as well. Um, next weekend, speaking of buying, I feel like it's probably an appropriate time to do this. At the top of the Bundesliga now, after 31 games, Bayern Munich are on 73 points, Borussia Dortmund on 66 points. So Bayern Munich could win the league title next weekend. And if we're being honest, they probably will against Werder Bremen in Bremen. What do you make of Bayern? Do you think kind of eight titles in a row is that kind of a little bit excessive, or do you expect more more of the same going forwards from them? Uh, I've seen some interesting quotes actually from like players who left the Bundesliga recently, and basically saying that the league now feels like it's kind of going the way Ligue 1 has in that Bayern are kind of now dominating, and they don't feel it's so attractive to actually be there anymore because of how uh, lethal Bayern are each season. It that, like even though Dortmund over the past couple of seasons look massively improved on a few years ago. They just don't seem to have that will at the end of the season to go and win the title, whereas Bayern, obviously, eight seasons in a row, they've kind of learned how to win titles and sometimes doing it ugly. So, I don't know. I, I, feel, I do think unless a lot of the teams step up, um, we will see a period of massive dominance for Bayern Munich. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I mean... Uh, it is, like you said, Bayern Munich are always poaching the best talents from other Bundesliga sides. Um, so unless sort of Borussia Dortmund uh, manage to keep sort of their core of players over the next few years, uh, especially Jaden Sancho, not that we can really see that happening, um, that he'll be there for the long run. Um, but yeah, unless they sort of manage to keep hold of their youngsters and bring some more through, more experienced players, I can't see anyone else really challenging them. Because uh, a lot of the clubs in the Bundesliga do seem to be selling clubs rather than uh, they're not really looking to to buy in and sort of challenge uh, Bayern Munich uh, for the title. Uh, I mean, a few a few years ago, Bayern Munich did have a very aged side, um, but which is sort of the point where a lot of people could see uh, maybe Dortmund taking over uh, with Ribery and Robben sort of leaving and uh, not really having anyone. Uh, there to replace them as such, uh, but obviously Nabry's done done a great job at that, and they've done a good job at replacing them. And even with Sane, um, reportedly um, wanting to join up with uh, with Bayern Munich over there. Yeah, and the situation that Bayern have as well is that the only team in the league who are ever going to be prepared to spend kind of ridiculous money, and especially in the climate that we're in now in terms of the transfer market. And you would imagine it would cost them a fair chunk of change to sign someone like um, Sane from Manchester City. I think in the Bundesliga as well, it's league with such a focus on young players that it makes it hard for the likes of Dortmund, Leipzig, kind of Leverkusen, Borussia to break through that glass ceiling. Um, and if you look back kind of at, at the past winners of the Bundesliga this century, it's been utterly dominated by Bayern Munich have won most of them. You've got a couple of titles for Borussia Dortmund, kind of Forsberg won that title kind of in freak circumstances in the early noughties but apart from that it's been pretty kind of barren territory for the other teams in terms of where with the with the title pretty much wrapped up where it is kind of now interesting and this will be of interest to Callum is the battle for fourth position so Borussia Mönchengladbach currently occupy fourth spot with 56 points um, Bayer Leverkusen are equal on points with them 56 points at the time of recording of course they have a game in hand which will be played either later today or yeah, on, on Sunday evening against Schalke. Um, who do you think will get the final Champions League spot, Callum? Um, 
obviously, yeah, you were saying it, it's kind of me. I, I support Bayer Leverkusen there, my, my German team. So, obviously, following them this year, um, I've said this before to you both in private, it's been a bit of a hit and a miss season. They go through spells where they look really good, but they've also go through spells where they just look absolutely terrible. And obviously, recently, the 4-0 loss to Wolfsburg and then losing by four goals against Bayern Munich, it doesn't fill me with confidence that they're going to get that last top four spot, especially... Obviously, Kai Havertz having this little niggle that he's got at the moment. Um, when he's out of the team, you can really notice the difference. And for, if, for them to be relying on a 20, 21-year-old kid who looks like he's probably moving on next season anyway, doesn't doesn't ring well with me. I, I, I do think Munchen Gladbach, especially given the start they had to the season where they were pushing for the title, I definitely think Munchen Gladbach might be in a stronger position than Leverkusen. Dan, what are your thoughts on that? Who do you think will get the last kind of Champions League spot, assuming that the teams like Leipzig and Dortmund don't kind of completely fall away at this point? Yeah, I mean, um, I do agree with what Callum said. Brian, uh, by Leverkusen has been a, a little bit hit and miss this year. Um, but, I mean, with the game in hand, uh, I think it'll, it'll really tell the story as to what happens later on today. Uh, if they manage to get sort of a three-point cushion... Uh, do they then uh, blow that and let Munch and Gladbach back in? They are sort of in the driving seat as such um, because they have got that game in hand and they are level on points. But it will be interesting to see how it pans out. I mean, other than sort of the relegation, that is the that is the main battle uh, left for the remaining fixtures uh, this year. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how that pans out. Definitely. The only other kind of, in, in the upper reaches of the table, the only other kind of main point of conversation would be the battle for sixth position so there are basically two teams at this point in contention maybe three teams you've got Wolfsburg who are currently six on 46 points Hoffenheim in seventh on 43 points and Freiburg in eighth on 42 points of course this is the spot in the Europa League these teams are looking for if I kind of in my opinion I, I would be amazed if Wolfsburg don't manage to kind of seal sixth position because Hoffenheim, since the restart, have been pretty horrible to watch. They've been really inconsistent. They've not really scored enough goals. Um, hence, they parted company with the manager last week at the time this is published. So, yeah, I think Wolfsburg are probably in a good position with regards to the last spot in Europe. I think most interestingly, most interestingly though, in the Bundesliga is the battle to stay in the top division. So, Paderborn are currently bottom of the table on 20 points with three matches remaining. They are pretty much relegated for all intents and purposes at this point. Above them, in 17th position, you have Werder Bremen on 28 points, Dusseldorf in 16th, 28 points, and then Mainz in 15th on 31 points. Of course, they're currently losing to Augsburg at the time of recording. What do you make of the teams kind of in the conversation to go down? Which, which team do you think will be able to pull away from the relegation battle? Um, on paper, uh, you you can't look past Werder Bremen, but obviously they've had such a bad season that you can't. It's, it's just a really odd one because they've obviously got some really strong players in their team. Uh, they've got Omer Toprak, who's to play for Borussia Dortmund, obviously. They've got Milot Rashika, uh, who's a quite talented striker, has been linked with a move to Manchester United and so forth. But yeah, just how their season's gone. I, d I don't know. I just feel like they could be my favourites to go down, especially given... I know they won 5-1, obviously, against Paderborn yesterday, but Paderborn are already down. All, all ends up. The 5-1 victory maybe flatters Werder Bremen a little bit. 
Dan, who who do you expect to kind of stay up or at least to kind of secure a place in, in the playoff rather than be re- relegated automatically? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't see it changing too much from uh, how it is already. Um, I mean, looking at the fixtures, sort of Dusseldorf have got to play, um, got to play Leipzig uh, as well. Um, and Bremen have got Bayern Munich. So I can't really see it changing that much from where they are. Uh, I do feel like they're sort of the remaining fixtures are sort of not too favourable for either of the sides. Um, so I can't see any of them gaining points over the other. Uh, it, re- it will really go on uh, either how the goal difference in the end, uh, I believe, because they are pretty close uh, at the moment um, with it, with only one goal in it. So I feel like that will be the deciding factor between Dusseldorf and uh, Bremen when it comes to. Uh, sort of the relegation playoff, third uh, place player. Yeah, and that Werder Bremen versus Mainz fixture as well. That that's going to be so crucial because obviously there's three points in it, so that's a massive six pointer uh, leading into the last game of the season. So whoever wins that, you can imagine staying up. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of the fixtures, um, of course, each of the teams now has three matches remaining into the final games of the season. So Werder Bremen face Bayern Munich at home. Mines away and Köln at home. Dusseldorf face RB Leipzig away from home. They face Augsburg at home and then Union Berlin on their travels. And then kind of the final team in the conversation, if Augsburg do go on to win the result on Sunday afternoon, Mines face Borussia Dortmund away, Werder Bremen at home and Bayer Leverkusen away. So Mines, to be fair, even though they've got a couple of points kind of in hand already over the over the other teams in the conversation had two really hard games potentially before the end of the season against Borussia Dortmund and Bayer Leverkusen and they're both teams that will need the points especially Leverkusen and, and of course Callum you talk about the game between Werder Bremen and Mainz that's going to be huge considering there is only three points between the teams at the moment and all of them will be desperate to avoid kind of relegation given the financial uncertainty across kind of global sports and in German football um in terms of kind of the competition as a whole, are there any players kind of stepping away from the really, really obvious choices that have stood out to you or players that you enjoy watching? Um, we'll start off with Dan, if that's OK. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, over I've only really sort of uh, followed the Bundesliga properly sort of the past few weeks, um, probably just before uh, it, it got stopped as well. Um, but Danny Olmo, he is uh, he's, he's another one of them FM players that always seems to turn out pretty well. Um, so I've had, had sort of a, an eye on his career. And I mean, looking at uh, yesterday's result uh, against Hoffenheim, managed to bag himself uh, a couple of goals. Um, but I believe he did, he moved from, uh, is it Zagreb that he moved from? Uh, yeah, so um, I am interested to see sort of how his career pans out and whether he will continue to progress. Especially with Leipzig in general, they've got got a few good young players. Um, I mean, I've I've, I've seen that uh, Upa Meccano sort of had a bit a uh, bit of a shock in the past few weeks uh, amid sort of uh, transfer transfer uh, rumours surrounding him. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether he manages to get back on his feet again um, and sort of fuel put more fuel into the fire of of the rumours surrounding him. And then obviously, if you're talking about um... 
transfers away from RB Leipzig. We've obviously got the breaking news last week where Timo Werner's on the way to Chelsea, it seems. After all the links to Liverpool, it seems Frank Lampard has come in, uh, set up his Zoom call and he's got his man, which, I mean, as a Liverpool fan, uh, I must say I'm pretty annoyed about that. I think Timo Werner's a great player um, and I think he makes Chelsea a much better side with the firepower he can bring to the team. Timo Werner's a really interesting player because, of course, he owes so much to RB Leipzig and this year it's been so, so obvious that he would kind of probably be making way at the end of the season. In 31 appearances um, in 2019-20, Timo Werner has 25 goals and eight assists from kind of 2,580 minutes and 116 shots. So that's a really impressive return from Timo Werner. Um, we'll talk about the Premier League later in the show, but do you think kind of a front three of um, Ziyech, Pulisic and potentially Timo Werner could cause kind of the likes of Man City and Liverpool issues next year at Chelsea? The thing that worries me about this Liverpool side, obviously this will be two seasons in a row where Liverpool have only signed... Taki Minamino, who obviously hasn't set the uh, league on fire as of yet. So you could argue you could see this Liverpool team starting to go a bit stagnant, which is the worry I have if we don't make a sign in it, which kind of why I was a bit worried about missing out on Timo Werner. But I guess obviously with the financial situations of coronavirus, you've kind of got to expect that. For sure. Um, an article that I saw the other day um, kind of put a comparison of Chelsea's potential front line and kind of their attacking midfield options and compared it to Liverpool and Man City. And there's a huge age difference, kind of the likes of Salah, um, Mane and Firmino are like late 20s, kind of approaching the 30s. And again, at Manchester City, Aguero, of course, is kind of in Premier League terms getting on a bit. And obviously they've got Raheem Sterling, but the other spot is kind of less certain with Bernardo Silva and obviously Sane in the team. So going forwards, that will be really kind of Interesting to see how Chelsea do next season. Um, are there any other players in the Bundesliga that kind of stand out to you, Callum, at the minute? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is once again probably my uh, Bayer Leverkusen bias coming through a little bit, but someone that's kind of come through the season has gone a little bit under the radar, and that's Moussa Diaby. And I just I think if you've watched him, uh, he's not uh, lethal in the final third, but some of the runs he makes through teams, he, he just looks like such a good talent. And he's one of the people that I would definitely have a look at and be sniffing around if I was one of the Premier League teams who can't go for the big money transfers because I reckon that you could get him on a fairly reasonable deal when he looks the real deal, to be honest with you. Sure. Um, he's a really impressive player. And I think in the first game after the restart, he was one of the players who was really, really impressive. For Leverkusen, for me, um, and again, this kind of goes back to my slight obsession with the relegation battle. The player I've really enjoyed watching is um, Yuri Pavlenka, the goalkeeper for Werder Bremen. He's been so, so impressive, even in the games where Bremen have come up second best. I mean, yesterday, um, Paderborn outshot Werder Bremen quite significantly. And of course, Bremen still came away with the 5-1 win. So he's a player that if Bremen do go down, I would expect to see him either go into a Bundesliga team or moving to someone maybe in the Premier League or um, La Liga because he's such such a good goalkeeper. Yeah, um, one final question. In a word each, we're going to start with you, Callum. Are Bayern Munich going to win the Champions League this August? Yeah. Dan? No. I'm going to say no as well. Although I think it's interesting because, of course, they'll have 
less congestion towards kind of late July, early August, so it could play into the hands. But the Champions League, of course, at the minute is completely up in the air. Anyway, a competition that is partially up in the air, but still kind of the best best football competition in the world. Major League Soccer is back with the MLS is back tournament. I'm very, very, very excited about this news. So the tournament is set to begin on July the 8th with the final set to take place on the 11th of August. The way that MLS is back is going to be working. So they're having kind of a mini World Cup style tournament in Florida with all of the teams across kind of the East and Western Conference split into groups of four or six. Um, the group stage draw was made earlier this week. So, of course, the way it works, the top two from each group will progress. And then I think the top four third place teams will also progress into the single elimination knockout rounds. The thing to remember with this competition, though, is that there is a lot on the line. So the points accrued in the group stage of the competition will accumulate and will count towards the regular season totals, which is somewhat bizarre, but we'll go with it. Um, also up for grabs, the winner of the competition will receive $1.1 million worth of prize money, which is pretty impressive for MLS. And last but not least, a place in the world-renowned CONCACAF Champions League. So before we get into this, um, kind of what do you make of the format for the competition. We'll start with you, Callum. Um, I think this is actually a really interesting way of starting up the leagues again, because obviously the MLS was only two or three games in when it uh, came to a stop due to coronavirus. Um, and I think this tournament is it, an interesting way of actually bringing new fans to the MLS as well, I think, because obviously it's going to be over a short period of time showcasing all the teams. And especially given the David Beckham effect, which is kind of why I've become a little bit more of a fan of the MLS with uh, Inter Miami. I think it could bring a lot of the British audience into it because obviously without the Euros this year, we're missing out on that knockout style tournament, which this could obviously not in the same way, but it could kind of bring back that feeling of uh, knockout tournaments, which is a, a, quite a nice way of doing it, I think. Dan, what do you kind of make of the format and the way that MLS is restarting. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It does look like a, a really interesting sort of uh, format to be running with. Um, I'm not not too sure about how uh, the points are going to translate back into the, the regular season. That's a bit a bit of a strange one there. Um, the MLS was was a league that I was interested earlier on in the year uh, to be seeing, uh, having spent some time over there myself. Um, but obviously, with it being cancelled sort of uh, early March time, I believe it was, I never sort of really got to see uh, see it proper, proper kickstart. Um, but this is going to be interesting, like Callum said, it is going to sort of showcase uh, to everyone sort of around the world, in Europe especially, sort of uh, the players that are on show over there. I mean, uh, you've got a few that are, are sort of looking at moves over, over to sort of Europe. Um, in, in the coming coming windows, um, but it is going to be very interesting, uh, especially to see how they sort of deal with this uh, sort of um, setup with them playing quite a few games uh, within a short space of time. It is going to be very interesting to see. I absolutely cannot wait for this competition because, and I, I speak as someone who's followed MLS for quite a while because it's just the most bizarre and ridiculous competition in the world. But kind of if you look at the format. Um, of course, the, the groups are split East and Western Conference, so you're only playing against teams who are directly kind of in competition with you to make the playoffs. 
But it's going to be such a bizarre competition because, of course, these teams have only played two games of their season, both of which actually still count towards the regular season standings, um, which in itself is, again, a little bit crazy. But the group stages, so many rivalry matches have been thrown up. So kind of we've got the Canadian Classique between TFC, Toronto FC and Montreal Impact. We have the Hellier's Real Derby, which is kind of the most incredible name for a football derby ever. Um, Columbus Crew versus FC Cincinnati. We've also got a kind of the rock star game of the competition. LAFC versus LA Galaxy, which will just be insane. You, you remember a couple of years ago, Zlatan Ibrahimovic made his debut in, I think it was the first ever El Trafico or one of, one of the first El Traficos. Um, he came on and scored from basically the halfway line with his first touch. So it, there's always that to look forward to. We also have the Rocky Mountain Cup fixture between Real Salt Lake, which is, I think, my least favourite name in the whole of MLS. Um, versus I quite like that name. Real Salt, no, not for me. Um, versus the Colorado Rapids. And last but not least, the Cascadia Cup, the only cross-border rivalry between the Seattle Sounders and the Vancouver Whitecaps. So the groups have been set... Um, and the groups are really interesting because Group A is a six-team group. The rest of the groups are four teams. So the way it's going to work is the team in Group A will still only play three fixtures each in the group stage. They just won't play one of the teams. So kind of there are several groups within a group, kind of, which is a little bit odd. Um, in terms of MLS, are there any teams or players that you're looking forward to seeing once the competition starts? We'll go over to Callum. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's uh, Chicharito Hernandez, obviously been around on the scene for quite a while in Europe, but obviously moved over to America and has been seen as the Zlatan uh, replacement. Obviously, in the first couple of games, he didn't uh, make the impact that was expected of him, but he's, I still think he's a good striker and I do think he could have a massive impact on that LA Galaxy team. Maybe not the impact that Zlatan had, but it, it could be interesting to see how uh, his season pans out. Yeah, another player that I'm excited to see is obviously someone I think was linked with West Ham, who is Aaron Long, uh, obviously the centre-back. And it's always interesting to see with players that are linked with a move to Europe if their reputation is actually as good as it seems. So, yeah, he's someone I'm definitely interested in watching a little bit closer. For sure. You've picked up two really interesting players there, kind of at different points in their career. So, of course... Um, Chikorito Javier Hernandez is currently playing for LA Galaxy. The first two matches he played for Galaxy, having watched them, he was really, really quite badly off the pace. But the issue that LA Galaxy have had is that for a number of, number of years, they've had kind of a striker where they can just throw balls into the box. So in the first couple of games, in the first two consecutive games of this season, um, Guillaume Beroscoloto's team set the record, all-time MLS record, for most crosses into the box and of course they were playing one striker up front and that striker was Javier Hernandez so that was a slightly kind of puzzling decision and they'll have to work on their strategy going forwards in terms of getting the right service to him um, the other player you mentioned Aaron Long so he's the Red Bull New York um, central defender he's a good player to be fair um, I'm not kind of sure how real the links to West Ham were he was also linked with Southampton I think there might have been kind of a little bit of Asian talk in there um, but he's definitely a player who could quite comfortably make the move. He's not someone who, when you compare him to Aaron Brooks, who's currently playing for Hertha Berlin, um, there's not a world of class between those two players. Um, over to you, Dan. Any players or teams? I, I guess we'll stick with players. Any players that you're looking forward to seeing once MLS? Uh, player, 
players especially. I mean, uh, I'm interested to see sort of how um, Pizarro does it into Miami. I mean, I've not really seen too much of him. I'm not going to pretend that I have. Um, but he sort of seemed to be uh, the centrepiece, if you like, um, for that into Miami side. So it'll be interesting to see how they've built a squad around him uh, and whether he will have uh, as, as big an effect as they are expecting him to have. Um, we've also got um, Christian Pavon. Uh, he's a player who I have heard of over the years, mainly due to the links over to Europe. Um, so it will be interesting to see how he does perform in the MLS, uh, given that he was expected to make the move uh, sort of overseas, if you, if you like, um, over into Europe. Uh, so we can see, see him uh, sort of in action and see whether he does perform. Uh, and then obviously you've got, got uh, Hernandez as well, as Callum mentioned. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, sort of how he does over there, given he's, he's really made his mark on European football. Uh, whether he can uh, do it over there as well. For sure. Um, I think the interesting kind of points you touch upon with the players you've mentioned, Rodolfo Pizarro obviously arrived from Mexican side Monterey earlier this season. He scored, I think, in into Miami's second game of the season, I want to say, quite early on in the match. That was interesting to see. Um, he's a really good player. And again, he's kind of linking back up with Diego Alonso, who's into Miami's manager. Um and the other player you mentioned, Christian Pavon. So, of course, a couple of years ago, he was named um, South American Young Player of the Year. And, of course, that's quite a kind of crowded field in terms of players to look at. So he's a really interesting player. He can play pretty much anywhere across kind of either wing or in the number 10 role. So he's, he's, a, he's an absolutely quality player to kind of keep an eye on. Um, the last thing I'll talk about with regards to LA Galaxy, um, and it's quite funny because... The criticism leveled at every single podcast ever that ever talks about MLS is that all they ever bang on about is the Galaxy. Um, and I'm going to do it again. But of course, the reason why um, someone like Chikorita Hernandez was kind of destined to go to LA is because of kind of the war in LA with regards to securing the fan pace going forward. So with the introduction of LAFC, um, a lot of kind of the Hispanic and Mexican community who previously supported Chivas USA went over to support LAFC. They kind of took their patch. Um, and with LA Galaxy, they've not really been good since the introduction of targeted allocation money. Um, and they have been reliant on people like Hernandez, people like Ibrahimovic to try and kind of bolster their reputation. So it'd be interesting this season to see if on the pitch, LA Galaxy can turn a corner. Um, I'm going to drop some slightly bias on you at this point um so for me personally although i i love an expansion team beckham um and the fact it's just a, a cool team i think in the league now um the first team of my heart in mls is toronto fc of course one mls cup a couple years back um and for me the best player in the league and it's not often that i get to say that the best the best player in the league plays for a team that i actually like um, is Alejandro Pesuelo. So he's um, previously of, I want to say, Club Bruges over, of course, in Belgium. He's a really tricky number eight. He's a, such a really brilliant player. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely a player to look out for. If you like homegrown talent in MLS, um, and I'm kind of treating this as kind of an introduction, Class 101 to MLS. Um, Paxton Pomacall at FC Dallas is a really good homegrown American player who's probably at some point going to make the jump over into Europe as a central midfielder um, who plays under Luchi Gonzalez. 
at FC Dallas. So yeah, there's lots and lots of things to look out for over with MLS. If you had to pick a team, who do you think is favourites to win the competition? Um, for me, I, I, I don't think you can maybe look past LAFC, obviously with Carlos Vela, who was taking on Ibra last year, obviously for the uh, top goal scorer and managed to beat him. But I mean, any player that beats Latan in the top scoring uh, tournament is clearly a great player and he started the season superbly as well. He, he looks on top form. So yeah, for me, I think LAFC might have to be my favourites to win the whole thing. Um, I mean, it is, it's hard to disagree with that. Um, I've got to be honest. I mean, um, I do sort of see LAFC as the favourites as well. Um, I mean, although in that group, you have got the Galaxy as well uh, in there, uh, which will be will be an interesting team to watch, especially with, with the players they've got with the Santos, uh, a Pavon, um, and others that we've mentioned. They will be interesting to see uh, throughout this tournament. Um, especially with Hernandez as well, who is used to sort of the international stage and the structure of of sort of this tournament style uh, that they have. So we'll be interested to see uh, what sort of effect that he has there. Uh, I tell you one thing yeah. that I actually am really disappointed that the MLS got called off as it did is we was building up to that into Miami going and, and I know we're going back to LA Galaxy, but we're going back to into Miami LA Galaxy. Obviously Beckham returning to um, Galaxy for the first time and ha that being taken away just feels like such a blow because we now really don't know if that's going to happen this season. So if you have to wait another year, it's going to be quite annoying in my eyes. Yeah, that, that was definitely disappointing. I think kind of the reason that we're, I think the reason that we'd even talk about MLS on this show is because of Inter Miami and it's kind of raised the profile of MLS David Beckham factor. Um, you've both kind of pointed to LAFC as the team that you think will cause kind of the rest of the league problems in the competition. Of course, they are in Group F, which is for the Western Conference. They are in the group with the LA Galaxy, Houston Dynamo and Portland Timbers. My only word of caution, if you were going to kind of bet on LAFC, is last year and the year before that, they had some issues in knockout competitions. So kind of the Portland Timbers absolutely kind of dunked on them in the US Open Cup, which was quite surprising considering LAFC went on to set the highest number of points total in MLS history last season. So there's that to bear in mind. And also in the playoffs last year, LAFC were completely undone by the Seattle Sounders in the postseason. So LAFC, although they are clearly one of the best teams who ever kind of graced the field in MLS, they're still yet to prove their credentials in kind of knockout competitions for me anyway. Um, if I was going to pick out a team and looking at the groups, um, I should have probably prepared this. I think one of the teams that will be very happy with the group that they've had, um, Atlanta United. So they're in Group E. They're going to be facing FC Cincinnati, who have been awful since joining MLS. They're also in the group with the New York Red Bulls, who haven't been very good this season so far, although do have lots of quality. Um, and they're also in there with the Columbus crew and they're linked with a couple of kind of high profile strikers at the minute um atlanta united should top that group and expect them to go far in the eastern conference um group a really could be anyone's pick there's so many kind of evenly matched teams in that group um and again i've kind of disclosed my biases but i think toronto fc will do quite well in this competition especially if someone like josie altidore 
is still fit. And of course, we kind of look at Josie Altador through kind of Anglo-centric lenses because he was so kind of awful at some point. <laughs> he, was, he was really bad in yeah, the Premier League. Um, in MLF, yeah. and this might speak somewhat to the quality of play in America and kind of Canada as well. Um, in MLS, Josie Altador is kind of one of the most kind of well-liked, one of the most reputable players in the competition. And he's always come up trumps, both kind of in games where the US men's national team really needed him and kind of Toronto FC in the playoff final a couple of years ago. So TFC is, again, a team I'd kind of look towards. But I'm just happy that MLS is back. I think there are so many exciting players, so many exciting teams, and it's really anybody's pick. And because there's so many random um, kind of rivalry matches that have been drawn in the groups. That one of the things that actually did make me laugh quite a lot is: Did either of you watch the draw? The... I did not. I did not. I, I kept up with it on Twitter, but I didn't watch it. Uh, no, so, no. so the draw, of course, because kind of America's still well, America isn't on lockdown, but a lot of kind of companies <laughs> are keeping their staff kind of locked down anyway. Um, the draw was scattered across a number of the presenters' houses, and basically, what they the way they structured the draw was they had representatives from all of the top seeds in a video call and then the guy who was doing the draw charlie davis who used to play for kind of the usa and played the mls for most of his career um would then pick the ball that they said and then that would be the team in their group um but obviously because so many rivalry matches have been drawn so like toronto fc versus montreal <laughs> and the one that made it quite funny is when the whole of kind of american twitter went wild was when lafc drawn against LA Galaxy. But yeah, no, it should be a fun competition. And it's something that I'm quite looking forward to next month. A competition that I'm less looking forward to, if I'm being totally honest, from a um, my allegiances perspective, <laughs> is the return of the Premier League. So the Premier League gets back underway this Wednesday at six o'clock, a fantastic kickoff time, of course, with Aston Villa versus Sheffield United. Have you ever seen such a glamour tire but over to you dan how excited are you for the return of the premier league uh personally i'm very excited uh to see it come back uh, i mean as an arsenal fan it's not the most exciting year that we've had um but i i am i am uh strangely a little bit confident um in sort of what uh Mikel arteta is gonna be uh is, uh has done uh whilst uh, we have been locked down uh, and all of that. I've heard I've heard some good things about what he's been doing with his players and sort of how they've been progressing uh, uh, under his his guidance. Uh, so that really that first that first game against Man City, uh, I think that's going to be very interesting seeing Arteta return back there. Uh, I mean, if if we do somehow manage to put, pull off a win there, um, I mean, I know uh, the title is pretty much Liverpool's anyway. <laughs> Um, but I think uh, that all, all but confirms it if it wasn't already already clear to see uh, that the title is, is, is heading Liverpool's way. Um, but yeah, overall, very excited um, for, for what's going to be going on in the next few few weeks and months uh, regarding the Premier League. For sure. And with the Premier League restarting, of course, it's probably a good time to refresh on the situation. So, of course, we've got Liverpool after 29 matches on 82 points. They are miles clear at the top of the table. Manchester City with a game in hand, of course, because of Mikel Arteta's positive kind of coronavirus test back in March, it would be now, um, back on 57 points in second position. 
Leicester City on 53 points in third, Chelsea on 48 points in fourth. And then when you go down the table, you've got Manchester United, Wolves, Sheffield United, Tottenham and Arsenal only separated by five points in the mid-table. And, and I say this, and I say this kind of somewhat tongue-in-cheek just to, just to wind Dan up. Um, we also can't really rule out Burnley or Crystal Palace <laughs> and Arsenal qualifying for Europe. They're only a point back from the North no. London club. So, of course, there's lots to play for with regards to Champions League qualification. Um, the league title is done for all intents and purposes, but Champions League, Europa League qualification, there's so much to talk about. And at the bottom of the table, and you, you say this, I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to picking relegation matches to watch in the Bundesliga. So much fun in the bottom six. Uh, currently on 29 points, West Ham on 27 points, Watford on 27 points. And then in the relegation zone, we have Bournemouth, 27 points, Aston Villa, 25 points, and Norwich City on 21 points. The Canaries are certainly calling at the moment. So in terms of Champions League qualification, Europa League qualification, or relegation to the second division of English football, which part of the table is most interesting to you as the Premier League kicks off again, Callum? Um, I mean, they're both really interesting in terms of what's going to happen, especially, obviously, Man City um, with their transfer ban, which is currently investigated by Kaz. So, obviously, we could see fifth place in the league uh, getting that Champions League spot. So, that really opens up the field, maybe even a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, from the bottom, it's just weird to see some of these teams down at the bottom because some of these teams have such good quality. Obviously, West Ham... Uh, it's been a dreadful season. I'm sorry, Luke. I don't don't do that do that easily. But their team should not be uh, should not be fighting relegation. Um, and then obviously with Aston Villa as well. Aston Villa, you'd expect them after coming up from the division uh, championship last year, with especially with Jack Grealish, who's really uh, impressed this season. You'd expect them to actually not be fighting that relegation battle. But yeah, that the relegation battle, especially uh, as there's about five teams still uh, potentially going down. I think that'll be the key part of the season coming into it. Dan, what do you make of the relegation battle at the moment? Uh, the relegation is very, is very interesting, um, especially sort of um, seeing as most of our friends are West Ham fans. Um, it is going to be interesting to see how that pans out over the next few weeks uh, with them level on points um, with with uh, Bournemouth, who are in the relegation places, uh, with only a plus three goal difference uh, over them. Uh, it could be it could be a very uh, interesting interesting few weeks for West Ham, especially with the with the remaining fixtures they've got left. Um, it will be interesting to see the bottom of the table. I mean, sort of mid table. It it really is sort of anyone's game for that sort of fifth uh, Euro for the Europa League spot. Uh, fourth, maybe, is, is sort of narrowed down to a few more teams. But um, I can't see sort of Chelsea and United dropping that many points to allow likes of sort of uh, Arsenal, Burnley, Palace to sort of even uh, have a chance of catching up to them there. Um, but it will be interesting to see, nonetheless, um, how, how... Look, I have to ask, how, how are you feeling about this return? Because obviously... From what I've heard, uh, project pro- uh, project restart pre-season for West Ham hasn't actually gone too badly. But is that leading you into a little bit of a false uh, sense of security? Um, 
the situation with West Ham is quite grave, if I'm being totally honest. If you look at our fixtures, we've our first three games are Wolves at home, and I watched West Ham play at Model New earlier this season, and West Ham were atrocious. Um, Spurs away and Chelsea at home. So we could really be in a situation where West Ham, after what, 31, 32 matches, haven't won a game since the restart, will almost definitely be in the bottom three. That is an almighty mess to kind of be dealing with. Um, and you, you talk about the pre-season or kind of mid-season results that West Ham have had. They've beaten Crystal Palace in practice matches kind of during the break over the last week. Sebastian Haller has scored in both of the matches. Um, to answer your question, does that give me any kind of source of optimism? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. So you remember the season that West Ham were relegated on that under um, Avram Grant, the legendary former Chelsea manager. Um, West Ham won every single game of pre-season that year. So to answer your question, no, not optimistic genuinely think will go down i genuinely think norwich will probably go down but i think norwich will be one of the teams that actually benefit from the conditions kind of behind closed doors just because of the way that they play um and i worry about bournemouth as well just because they have a reputation for playing good football but they haven't played and then they're quite defensive and they don't actually engage anywhere near as high up the pitch as you'd expect a team from eddie howe to do um, so in answering your question in, in kind of the most stark terms, I'm looking forward to West Ham, the Rico Arena for a game against Coventry next season. That that would be that would be okay. Um, but no, I, I'm genuinely quite quite concerned about the situation at the bottom. Yeah, I, I, going back to Norwich. Norwich is an interesting one because obviously it's come out this week they played Tottenham in a pre-season, well pre. Uh, resume season friendly and actually won so I know Tottenham aren't the greatest team in the league and they're in a bit of a transition period obviously with Mourinho but you, you've we've seen stranger things happen Norwich could still survive that drop especially I mean they've got Timo Pukki as well who's playing really well this season so you never know you never know I had quite a kind of radical theory about Norwich and it, it links to what's been happening in the Bundesliga if you look at kind of with the exception of this Berlin did pick up a good result. The teams that play mid or low defensive blocks and don't engage high up the field and play defensive football have been without the... For instance, Schalke are the best example of this. David Wagner, of course, was kind of famed for playing quite a good attacking brand of football at Huddersfield. With Schalke, it's a deep block. It's a mid block. You kind of pack the midfield. You have um, players... Lots of energy in central areas, but not really much going. Teams like that have really own support in the Bundesliga. And if I look and kind of compare and contrast um, West Ham being one of them, Bournemouth being one of them, and Aston Villa being the other one, of teams that play kind of that sipid style of football, I think they could struggle. And of course, on the flip side, you have Norwich, who, rightly or wrongly this season, have really been pressing high, have been scoring goals. Even season against Liverpool, where you'll remember the score better than I will. I think it was 4 or 5, 1 or 2, something like that. Yeah. Um, Norwich didn't look bad. Norwich played quite well. It's just clear that they, in terms of quality on the pitch, didn't have it. But I think Norwich will have confidence because they've got absolutely nothing to lose. And it only takes them winning an extra two matches compared to the teams around them to stay in the league. 
mm. which, to be honest, isn't the biggest ask when you've got someone like Puki scoring lots of goals. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if Norwich don't stay up, I can see them losing a lot of their players and it becoming hard for them to bounce back anytime soon, really, because I can see sort of Max Aaron's leaving. Uh, Timu Puki may go to sort of one of the lower league, uh, lower down the league teams uh, in the Premier League if they do get relegated. Um, teams such as Brighton, West Ham, Watford, uh, if they do all stay, manage to stay up. Um, so I think it will be interesting to see how they progress um, if they do manage to go down and whether they will sort of stagnate in the championship uh, for, for the few years uh, to come before they manage to build up that good that good core they've got. For sure. Yeah. I think the thing with Norwich as well is that they've set their club up in such a way where relegation isn't so much of a massive issue because they do spend within their means. Um and they buy players that are clearly comfortable with kind of being promoted and being relegated. They kind of know what they're getting themselves in for. So kind of midway through the lockdown in England, Norwich actually announced the signing of a player, I think, from the Bundesliga or Bundesliga's via. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, a date for your diaries. Um, the London Stadium, the 26th of July, a three o'clock kickoff on the final day of the season, West Ham versus Aston Villa. Um as relegation six-pointers go on the final day of the 2019-20 season, do you think one or both of those sides will be relegated at the end of the year? Uh, I don't think both will be relegated. I don't. Uh, but if I was going to pick between one of them two to go down, I think it would be West Ham. Your your face, we can see your face on here. Yeah. It doesn't look I mean, pleased with me at the moment. <laughs> I agree. That's the issue. I, I do genuinely agree. I, I And I, I wrote an article about this, um, although I had to tone down some of my kind of language for editorial reasons, um, about basically throughout the whole project, West Ham, um, or should I say Karen Brady, was so adamant that we shouldn't play at neutral venues. It would be such an affront to the integrity of the competition, this and that, basically because they were worried that home team advantage would be lost and then the teams at the bottom of the table would be relegated kind of unfairly. Um, of course, the great irony of this situation is the fact that in the Bundesliga, teams have been rubbish at home. Um, and West Ham have been especially rubbish at home since we moved to the Athletic Stadium a couple of years ago. Um, so behind closed doors, not particularly optimistic. And to be honest, I think Aston Villa versus West Ham on the last game of the season is going to be the most important match in the Premier League on that day because I think one or both could potentially be relegated. And I think the most West Ham thing to happen would be both teams start the day in the relegation zone. A win would be enough for either team to get promoted and both teams play 4-5-1 and draw 0-0. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put that beyond either side. I've got to argue, I do think it has the potential to be a Premier League classic. That last day could be... Uh, another moment, obviously not the Aguero moment, but another moment where the last few minute goal keeps one of the sides up. Could be a really good game, to be fair. It's just got the hallmark of like a Timu Puki moment. Yeah. Uh, of whoever they're playing in the last game of the season, Puki scores the winner and then <laughs> relegates just everyone in the bottom half. That's kind of what I see coming. I've spent enough time kind of dwelling on my pessimism and disdain for the club that I meant to support. Um, 
looking towards the top half of the table, let's pick on Dan for a change. Are Arsenal going to make any form of European football next season? Um, the thing is, I know it's only it's, it's five points to the Europa League, eight, uh, eight to the to the Champions League, uh, with a game in hand as well. It's not too big of an ask. I feel like it really does depend on how sort of Arteta gets the players playing, and it does seem like they do want to be playing under him. Uh, whereas towards sort of the end of Unai Emery's tenure, it. Uh, it really did not look like they were playing for him or, or really the club in general. Um, but it seems to be, especially watching a lot of the training clips and uh, seeing the highlights from the preseason. Uh, I mean, I've got to say, with the Brentford game, um, there was a lot of mistakes. I feel like I think every goal that Brentford scored came from uh, a mistake from one of our players. I mean, especially that, uh, David Luiz had had a shocker that day. Um, judging by the highlights, uh, it really was was awful. I mean, uh, I think it, it's going to be it's going to be hard for us to reach them them spots, especially seeing as um, it's Man United and Chelsea occupying them. I can't see them dropping that many points uh, to allow anyone else in. Um, I mean, possibly Wolves and Sheffield uh, United, um, but I think it, it is going to depend on how how our defence is uh, going forward. We are. We're a good side. Uh, we are a good side, especially the past few games. I know we've not really been getting uh, the best results since Arteta's uh, sort of uh, took over, but uh, it's a lot better, the football that they're playing, uh, compared to how it was sort of prior to that. Uh, so they will be an interesting team to watch. Uh, I don't personally believe that they will uh, manage to get Europe, unless uh, it is the case that uh, sixth place does also... Uh, get into the Europa League due to Man City's ban uh, in the Champions League. Uh, but we'll, we'll just have to see how that pans out. But it will be an interesting, interesting uh, Dan, the, the obvious question from me is obviously a Liverpool fan. Do Arsenal have the quality to beat Man City and set up Liverpool winning the title at Goodison Park? That's all I want to know. I mean, I can't, I can't, I, I personally can't see it just based on our defence. I feel like going forward, I feel like we could, um, especially as um, Man City haven't been amazing defensively this year. I mean, they have missed uh, Laporte, obviously. Um, but I, I, I can't see our defence coping with uh, with Man City's attack, with the likes of Aguero, um, Mares, Bernardo Silva, players like that. They're just not... God, I don't feel like they're good enough to, to sort of battle against them. Especially as I don't believe that Tierney is back in uh, back in the mix uh, to be selected properly yet either. Um, so if he is, it might sort of we might sort of manage to nullify uh, their, their threat on the wings, but uh, it's going to be a hard game, 100%, especially away, from, I know it's away from home, but it's not as big a factor now, but uh, it will be it will be interesting to see how, how The interesting out. thing with um, Man City versus Arsenal is for the first time this season, the press are reporting that Pep Guardiola might have his whole squad to choose from, which, given the fact as well that obviously teams now, given IFAB's rule change, are able to make five substitutions, for a team with such kind of ridiculous squad depth, that could be quite problematic for a team kind of playing Manchester City. Um, I'm going to throw this one to Callum. Um, if we assume 
well, actually, we don't need to assume Liverpool have already qualified for the Champions League. Um, if we assume that Manchester City are banned from Europe, which three other teams, in your opinion, will be joining Liverpool in the Champions League next season? Uh, I think Leicester and Chelsea will be the two. And then, if I'm not coming at it from a bias, I do reckon it's Man United. But I'll tell you what, I would love to see Wolves or Sheffield United in the Champions League next year. That would be one hell of a story. It would be so good. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, it really would. It really would. Uh, to see sort of Sheffield United come from where, where they have. Um, I mean, the thing is, they play decent football. They've not got their right chance. Um, they do actually... They play good football. They're not sort of... Um, they've, they've not lucked out at the top there. Um, I mean, they've got a game in hand and they could they could be in fifth spot after that game in hand, which obviously would, would grant them a, a Europa League place. Uh, and then it's only only three points away from, from Champions League. I mean, they could definitely do it, which is sort of embarrassing to see as an Arsenal fan that you, you would be missing out to Sheffield United or, or Wolves, uh, even Tottenham. That would be awful. But um, it, it will be interesting to see. Uh, if one of them does manage to make it. Yeah, the interesting thing, of course, with Sheffield United as well, they do have a game in hand. So at the minute, they've played 28 matches, currently have 43 points. They've kind of got a double game week this weekend in terms of the fantasy football. They face Aston Villa on Wednesday evening. And then I believe on Sunday, they have Newcastle United away. So they're two kind of pretty winnable matches for Sheffield United this weekend. And if you look at the teams around them who kind of are in action, Arsenal have a horrible opening game against Manchester City. Tottenham face Manchester United. Um, Other teams to look out for, Leicester versus Watford is an interesting game in terms of kind of things to play for at both ends of the table. Wolves have a a must-win match against West Ham and I expect them to do so comfortably. Um, Arsenal back in action on Saturday against Brighton and Hove. Albion and then kind of last but not least if we look down Manchester City on the Monday evening game against Burnley so yeah there's lots to look out for in terms of this weekend and as you say if if Sheffield United take six points from six this week it will leave them on 49 points um, which would put them above Manchester United it would put them above Wolverhampton Wanderers that is an incredible kind of performance in your first season back kind of in the Premier League following on from kind of what a decade of of kind of ruin following the following the Carlos Tevez kind of scandal um which you you love to see you love to see it um so yeah it's it's been an amazing season from Sheffield United um speaking of this weekend are there any games kind of excluding the ones that our teams are involved in that you're looking forward to watching Tottenham Manchester United Friday night football it just uh, obviously Mourinho returning back to Manchester a bit of a bit of a weird one without the crowd because I think that would have been a really interesting one if there were crowds but I still think it'll be a really interesting game to see how Mourinho copes against his old side yeah definitely um if I, if I was going to pick one, uh, I probably would have gone gone with the same as you. But if I'm going to pick another one, um, I, I, I mean, it's got to be Everton versus Liverpool, really. 
uh, with Liverpool the chance to sort of lift the title uh, at Everton. Not sort of how they would have liked, but it would have been a much, much better scenario in front of the fans. Um, but that would still be uh, a, a great occasion for any Liverpool fan. Uh, so it will be interesting to see that game, especially as Everton will be sort of, uh, I'm sure they'll step up a gear to sort of stop that from happening. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that game that game pans out. But uh, yeah, that would be probably the one for me uh, this Sunday. Sure. Um, my pick of the matches is historic in so many ways. Um, the first ever game to be televised live on BBC Sport from the Premier League. So Bournemouth play Crystal Palace. That is by far the most exciting game of the weekend. Um, I kid you. Absolutely dour. Do not watch it. Um, the game that I am going to talk about though is Aston Villa versus Chelsea on Sunday afternoon. Um, Aston Villa desperately need a win, as we've said. Chelsea equally desperately need to keep ahead of Manchester United in the race to stay in the top four. So that's probably keep an eye out for on Sunday afternoon. Um, as we kind of round up the show, the first ever episode of the pre-match pint, are there any players that you're looking forward to seeing once the league returns this Wednesday. Yeah, if, 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 if we're talking about sort of outside of our own clubs, um, I mean, I'm interested to see how Grealish sort of performs, especially with him sort of possibly looking for a move away from Villa if they do, if they do get relegated, especially after obviously everything that's gone on with him throughout this, the break that we've had. Uh, it's, it's been a, quite a controversial one for for him. Uh, we interesting to see how he comes back. Um, but with, within within my own club, I mean, uh, I've got to go with uh, Bukayo Saka. Um, I mean, he's he's a very good young young player. I mean, playing sort of out of position at, at wing back, um, but he's performed so well there. Uh, he has performed so well. Uh, he's he's more like a second winger there. Um, he does. He gets forward. Uh, gets forward well. Uh, so he'll be very interesting to see. I mean, if Martinelli gets a chance as well, um, he's always good to see. He's interesting to watch, um, especially against Man City. It'd be, it'd be nice to see sort of the pace that they bring against their against their back four, three, whatever they go with. Um, but yeah, they're they're sort of the three players that I'm most looking forward yeah, to. If I pick, if I pick three as well, two from other clubs and then one from my own. Uh, Two slightly rogue shouts, kind of similar moulds, uh, Adama Troyore and Alan Saint-Maximin. They, they both really impressed me this season. I didn't really know what to expect of either of them, but two very pacey wingers. Obviously, uh, Troyore has kind of just burst out this season and has been linked with some big moves, uh, obviously coming from Barcelona a few years ago where he's hotly tipped. But he's been really impressive, even being told he was unplayable when he played Liverpool by Jurgen Klopp. Um, and then from my own club, um, one of the youngsters, I think, and I think the five uh, substitutions will really benefit Liverpool with the amount of youngsters coming through. And that's Harvey Elliott. I mean, he has seriously impressed me uh, this season in the games that I have seen him play. And he just plays uh, a much higher level than his years. Uh, and I think he could be a really useful asset coming off the bench uh, if we wrap the title up early too, to get him some game time. Philippe Coutinho is uh, supposedly begging to come back to Liverpool after being linked with many a move over the years and having a uh, dull spell at Bayern Munich and I, I would say a relatively harsh judge spell for Barcelona. But 
I think that's quite an interesting one to see if that happens, but that'll be something to discuss in future episodes too, if that is uh, the next transfer saga. Of course, Coutinho is certainly a player to keep an eye on during the summer transfer window. That, unfortunately, is all that we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening to episode one of the Pre-Match Pint podcast. Hop down into the description for details on how to find us each on social media. Until next time, keep your head high, your back to goal, and never be afraid to spring the offside trap. This has been the Pre-Match Pint. We'll see you next week.